Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Bum, 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 bum. It's Bucks versus the Saints on Monday Night Football at uh, the old sombrero, the new sombrero. This game, I will say this, Steve Versnick, this is the swing game of the entire season for the Buccaneers. Now, we've had a few of those before already, right? But follow me here. Saints still have the Bucks numbers. I know that the the Bucks won in week 2. Go back and look at the game. It's 3 to 3 in the fourth quarter. And Jameis Winston throws them a couple. One is returned for a touchdown. And the, and the Bucks scored 20 points. They win 20 to 10. Okay, 3 to 3, 8 minutes to go, I think fourth quarter. Last two times the Saints have been to Raymond James Stadium. They've allowed a total both games, a total of 3 points. They won nine to nothing in a shutout last year, thirty-eight to three the year before. Okay, I don't care what their record is, and it sure as hell doesn't matter who plays quarterback because we have seen everybody, right, from Taysom Hill to Jameis Winston to Drew Brees, all through the series, you name it, right? It doesn't seem to matter. So it's about their defense, and their defense has had the Bucks number, and oh by the way. Tampa Bay's offensive line is down to one starter, one from last season and certainly from the Super Bowl season, and it's Donovan Smith, and he is playing horrible football right now. And against the Saints, he routinely does not do very well because they are a problem for that Bucks offensive line. The Bucs haven't run the ball against the Saints. They haven't thrown it very well. The Saints are physical. If you remember the last time they played them, it, it basically hijacked their season. They took out Chris Godwin's knees. They took out Leonard Fournette in that same game. They took out Mike Evans, I think, in that same game. They physically have beaten up the Bucks every time they play them. And again, I know they won in week two, and it was a big win because they had lost seven in a row. But they've lost a bunch in a row at home. This game is big because of this. Take a look at that schedule. And yeah, they may have gotten a break because the next game is next Sunday in San Francisco against the 49ers, who, by the way, had no trouble winning despite losing Jimmy Garoppolo for the season. He's out for the year with a a, a broken foot. But they managed to beat Miami, which is a really good Miami team. And they did it without Jimmy Garoppolo. And now Brock Purdy from Iowa State, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the 2022 draft. He's now very relevant. He's the 49ers quarterback. And then they went, and for a veteran backup, they signed our good friend. This has got to be about his 12th or 13th team. Josh Johnson is going to go in there and be the backup. But this is, this is the game, Steve. This is the game that they, that, that they will look back and say, man, if we, if we don't get this, the math doesn't work, in my opinion. I well, the math may work only because the division is that's true pretty bad. But you don't want to go in the playoffs because your division was weak and you're not 
You won six games? Good. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. not what you want to have happen. Right. I mean, the Falcons lost on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So even if you lose tonight, right, you're still a half game up in the division. Right, except New Orleans now is 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 now a contender. Yes, because they would then be they would be five and seven, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, Carolina's only a game and a half out. That's true. And, and Carolina, still to, is, you still have to play them too. So I mean, there's yeah, a game they undefeated. can catch up there. So mm-hmm. in the division, they haven't lost. So I mean, you know, but a win tonight, and now you're a game and a half ahead of Atlanta. You're two game games hand. ahead of. Mm-hmm. You're two games ahead of Carolina. And you have a sweep over the Saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they would be two or three games back. Four and eight, they'd be like two. They'd be like three back, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, they haven't had their buy yet, so they'd be four and nine. So you'd be two and a half ahead of them. Right. You know, now you're putting you know a win tonight, and you're putting distance between yourself. And psychologically, be- you you get back to five hundred, which I know mm-hmm. isn't a big deal, but you don't want to be underwater here. No, abso- know, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But that two game cushion. Knowing oh, your next huge. two games are at San Francisco, right? Who even with Brock Purdy played well today, and they have a good defense. And no matter who the quarterback is, that's still going to stand. Yeah. And then you're going to play the Bengals, who may be the hottest team in football. I mean, outside the Eagles, who have only lost one game all year. No, nah, but I I think listen, I the Bengals to me are playing the best football, right? I've I've seen Philadelphia, and yeah, their record is incredible, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they find ways to win, and they haven't always looked pretty. The Bengals, who made it to the Super Bowl a year ago, started zero and two. They're what eight and two since that start, I believe. Yep. But they've got they've got to me, and, and listen, I love Josh Allen. I love the Buffalo Bills and what they've done. I think Allen is tremendous, and we know how good Patrick Mahomes is. Joe Burrow has beaten Patrick Mahomes three straight times. <laughs> I mean, three and zero. This this is this is starting to be a thing, right? When when you talk about the great quarterback matchups of all time, you're talking about Manning and Brady, and you know how Brady got the best of them through through most of those those games and those that era. Well, guess what? Joe Burrow is stacking them against Patrick Mahomes, who last time I checked, of of the guys not named Tom Brady, have been probably the best quarterback you know going today. So I love what the Cincinnati Bengals have done, and they're a they're a hot team with a Joe Cool swag quarterback that has been to the Super Bowl and look like they're headed headed that way again. This, I mean, you think that they're going to come into Raymond James and be intimidated by this bunch. Uh, I got news for you. So, yeah, tough game, not only tonight, Monday night, which is a horrible matchup for the Bucks physically, uh, X's and O's, all of that. And then they got to turn and go to San Francisco, a 3,000-mile trip. Remember now, Monday night game, short week, because you're playing on Monday night. Then you travel across country. They're leaving on Friday. Okay, so they're gonna have a they're gonna have a day off on uh, Tuesday. They'll practice Wednesday, Thursday. Have some kind of practice on Friday. Get on a plane, fly twenty five hundred miles, whatever it is, and then uh, play the Forty ers in in, in uh, Levi Stadium, uh, and then come back home and play the Bengals. Man, this is I, I just think that they need you know you need some momentum. You need to recapture some momentum after that Cleveland loss. And can't tell you how they're gonna do it. I will say this. The teams that have won, and it's been mostly New Orleans in this series since Brady got here, they've won with turnovers. When the Bucks won the one that mattered, which was in the postseason on their way to the Super Bowl, they they were going to lose that game. I'm telling you, the Saints are going to go up 14. They complete a pass to their tight end on the plus 40. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. strips the ball. I think 
it was Devin White that recovered, and the Bucks were on their way, and they got a couple more turnovers after that. That's how they lost. That's how the Saints lost that game. Uh, it was turnover central because they were beating the Bucks, and 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 that's always been the case, you know, since since they played at Raymond James and owned them. So the team that gets the turnovers and the Bucks have not gotten very many, especially of late. They had the one in Germany that I recall, but not much since then. So. Yeah, it, it's going to be a defensive battle. I don't think this is a high-scoring game unless one team just gives another team field position. I think they're going to, Bucks are going to have to be, you know, ready for a street fight, so to speak, ready to, you know, get in the mud and grind out uh, probably a, a twenty to seventeen win or something of, of that nature, maybe even less than that, and and then move on and and hope that, you know, hope the win the win in and of itself would be enough to carry a little momentum going out to the West Coast. And then you don't know because, listen, Brock Purdy was really good out there, uh, you know, when he had to come in for Jimmy Garoppolo who who broke some bones in his foot uh, and he's out for the year, which is incredible. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, think about his year, man. They didn't want this guy. They didn't, they didn't even let him come into camp. They didn't give him a playbook, you know. And then they, they lose Trey Lance, and all of a sudden he's their guy. And he plays well, and he gets them to where they're at, and then boom, he's out again. And I think it would have been a great matchup between Brady and Garoppolo because of the history there. But instead, it's going to be Brady against Brock Purdy. But we know the Bucks can lose to any quarterback in the NFL. They've already done so. You know, they, they lost to a rookie in Pittsburgh. They, you know, they lost to a third-string quarterback in Carolina. There's nobody that they can't lose to. doesn't matter who's a quarterback. I get that, but you can't convince me that this isn't sort of a break for the Bucks, that they're going to get a rookie quarterback making his first NFL start. He did come in off the bench. He did play well enough to win. And their defense is what wins out there, that and running the football. But, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still a horrible, horrible thing for San Francisco to lose yet another quarterback. They've lost two now. Very hard to win a Super Bowl with a rookie. Just look it up. It just doesn't happen. So that's a break for the Bucks. So if they get this one, get a little bit of momentum, go out to the West Coast. Maybe they get a wounded San Francisco team that throws them a couple interceptions or a couple turnovers or something, and maybe they can get on a little bit of a roll. But, man, this is a brutal part of the schedule. It just really is. And, and I think that, you know, for the Bucks to win, they're going to have to be smart. They're going to have to protect the football. And even if it's an ugly game, even if they're not scoring and the fans are booing and, you know, um, everybody thinks that they, you know, want to fire Byron Leftwich at halftime, they're just going to have to embrace the suck. They have to embrace the suck a little bit and just try to, you know, just try to eke out a win any way they can against this New Orleans team because they won't let you look good winning. They just won't. Um, you're going to have to take it from them and take the ball away and do some things like that to give yourselves a short field um, because if you got to go the long way against this defense, it's going to be a, a, a rough sledding. It always has been. And, oh, by the way, no Tristan Wirfs tonight. No Tristan Wirfs. you got Josh Wells at your right tackle. you got a very – Below average for him, his normal play, Donovan Smith at left tackle, and then all the usual problems you have on, you know, on the inside. So uh, I don't know what the game plan is going to be. They'll try to run the football. I don't know if they're going to be successful doing it, but if they're you know, second and nine, third and, third and uh, eight, uh, it's going to be a long day. And, and it has been on top of all the other long days. And look, there's a lot of things. like you know, It's just weird that we're sitting here and, and Tom Brady is five and six. If you'd have told me when he came back out of retirement after 40 days that this team was going to be five and six, and for that matter, still winning the division, which is mind-boggling, but just just in general, five and six, 
in, in what could very easily be certainly his last year in Tampa Bay, but probably his last year in football. Uh, it, it's just not the way you know he would have scripted it, anybody would have scripted it, and yet here we are. And, there, and we know the reasons for it, right? We know about the way the season started. We know about his personal issues which I don't care, you know, Tom Brady's the most prepared quarterback if he wakes up tomorrow and has no practice because he's a human cheat code when it comes to reading defenses and things like that. But for the way he's used to repairing, this obviously had, you know, he spent some emotional currency on his private life, and we saw him miss days, and now he's asking for one-on-ones and things like that uh, to get back in sync with some of his receivers. So it it just hasn't, from the start, it's felt very uneven, uh, and we know about the offensive line problems. We know about the injuries to Ryan Jensen and all of that that contributed to it. And then the coaching has not helped this football team. The coaching has been suspect from an offensive coordinator standpoint with Byron Lefwich and them being last in the league in rushing attempts uh, when the plan was never to make Tom Brady throw the most passes, which he has, 470 going into this week, was the most in the NFL. That was never the plan. Todd Bowles was supposed to be the accountability coach. Heck, he even held himself accountable for blowing the, the timeout in the clock management situation in Cleveland a week ago. Um, so it's hard to be hard to be accountable when you're not going to hold yourself that way. So, you know, it's just been a lot of things that have kind of, you know, compounded. And yet, when we talked to Brady the other day, he said, look, this story hadn't been written yet. We get a chance to write this story. We're going to do it in the next six weeks. What we do, how we play, um, you know, if we play our best football, we got a chance. If we don't. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it's still in our hands. And it is. It's very much in their hands. All they got to do is win a very, very bad division. They get a home playoff game, and you would absolutely take your chances, especially in the NFC. Now that the 49ers are wounded, who's the best team? Well, it's Philadelphia. They've got only one loss, but they've got flaws, and they've shown them in games recently. You know, you can't knock their record. I mean, one loss is one loss. They've been a terrific team this year, more than terrific, but I don't think anybody thinks they're unbeatable, even with that record. And so um, you just got to get there. And they have a great opportunity in, the, in a very bad division. They're very fortunate that this year the NFC South is so wretched, uh, as are they, that they're able to hang in there in first place with a 5-6 and six record. It just doesn't happen very often. I think a team that wins eight games that goes 8-9 and nine, might win this division. I really do. And that could easily be the Bucks, or it could be somebody else. But – it may not take a winning record to get there, and most likely won't. So, big game in uh, in Raymond James Stadium tonight: Bucks and Saints. Monday Night Football: Joe Buck, of course, Troy Aikman, Melissa Stark, all of them there. It's going to be fun. Um, it's always a big event, and um, you know you, you can't you can't get enough of these. These are this is kind of what fans should live for for the national attention for the for the big games for the Monday Night Football games. Because I'm here to tell you, once Tom Brady leaves, mm, maybe one a year. Maybe you get one one show a year. I'm not really sure. We'll have to see about that. All right, before we talk a little college football and uh, USF and the new coach and all of that, I want to remind you folks of a way to save money on your electric bill and do it now. It's called May Electric Solar. Consider this. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years now. There's a lot of these companies out there, but May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30 year labor and services warranty anything goes wrong boom they're up there fixing it for you no charge to you plus with every installation you get 750 dollars worth of surge protection for all your appliances that right there is the main difference now if you visit their hudson showroom may electric displays all of its products they conduct on-site testing 
You can see what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. Schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, and preserve the quality of your life and of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, Steve, I uh, went up with my friend as a spectator to the SEC Championships. My thanks to Frank Labar, who took me up there uh, with his uh, Keurig and Dr. Pepper company, and and we uh, hung out with the... uh, uh, the celebs and all of that, whatever was going on up there in uh, Georgia. Hold on, let me pick and, that up for you. Yeah, sorry about that. Drop, drop some names. I know Peyton Manning was up there. Eli Manning. They had the uh, SEC legends, I think. Um, there was quite a list. Johnny Mansell doesn't look so good, by the way. Um, so yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, Atlanta was hopping, obviously, as Atlanta has wont to do. A lot of LSU fans in the house, mostly a Georgia contingent, like a Georgia home game, and Georgia put it on them, man. I mean, uh, it was kind of a sloppy beginning for for uh, LSU and Georgia, but um, you know, one moment LSU is getting ready to go in for a touchdown, then they get a field goal block, and everybody stops for a couple seconds. The guy picks it up, and runs it in for a touchdown. So uh, they ended up putting fifty, I think, on LSU. Um, LSU, you know, did come back. I think may have scored close to thirty themselves, but uh, we left sometime after halftime. It just got to be ridiculous uh, at that point. Um, so that was the SEC championship game. Nothing much changed there. Georgia, of course, still number one in the nation. Um, but there was some interesting doings over the weekend that affected. Well, they, they they got one team in. Let's put it that way. Ohio State. Are you okay with them? This is the order now. It's Georgia, Michigan. Your Wolverines took care of business in the Big Ten uh, championship. And then TCU, which I'm glad they not only just made the tournament, but, of course, they lost to Kansas State. Uh, in the Big 12 uh, final, but it was in overtime. Kansas State ranked 10th in the nation. And then Ohio State. And I know Nick Saban's crying at his Alabama team's not there. I don't see any way the math would have worked for them. Two lost Alabama team that lost to some not-so-great teams. So I, I think they got it. I think the committee got it right. And I'm still a little shaky about the teams that get punished maybe for playing some of these conference championships. USC was the big loser because if they managed to take care of business against Utah – um, they're in the tournament, and that loss probably cost them or did cost them a chance at a, at, a, at a natty. Well, I, I think had USC lost in a close game to Utah, that's true. They might have been number four. Yeah, that's fair. They got blown out. Yeah, and so now you lost to Utah twice this season. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, look, the, the committee got it right. Georgia and Michigan are the top two teams. Mm-hmm. You could argue the order, although I, I would put Georgia one and Michigan two. Right, uh, but those are the top two teams. TCU was undefeated till they got to a conference championship, lost on a neutral field in overtime. Mm-hmm. They're three, and Ohio State's the other one lost team. Yes, they had a really bad loss, but but you, it was you, it was a bad half, right? Are we? I mean, yeah. like the first half was competitive. Those two teams were you mm-hmm. know very close. Mm-hmm. They played a really bad, tight. I thought they played tight, a tight mm-hmm. half of football. Yeah, so you you lost. You had a bad half. You lost to the number two team in the country. Yes, you got mm-hmm. blown out. Right. You know, you could, okay, so who's your other arguments? Alabama? Okay, who's their best win? Mississippi State? Ole Miss? Yeah, I mean, two road losses by a total of, what, four points? At, you know, at, what, LSU and at Tennessee. But they didn't really have a great schedule. 
They didn't play right. Georgia. And their non-conference schedule is a joke. It always is. Yeah. Um, you know, so... LSU didn't help them, by the way. If LSU had kept winning, mm-hmm. that, that, that loss might have looked better, but it didn't. It might, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, TCU has more top 25 wins than any of the, the other teams. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why... I Look, I, I think the order was right. I mean, you hate the fact that Ohio State backed into it, or any team, quite frankly. It would have been better had TCU and USC won their conference champions and you had four conference champions in there. You know, had Clemson not lost the week prior to South Carolina, they probably get the four seed or had a shot at it. Right. That's right. You know, but you go with the teams that, that you know, only lost none or one games or who you put mm-hmm. in. So I, I think the committee got it right. And really, I think, you know, for as much as we talk about um, – and they're going to open up this. I guess they're going to start with what? Is it a 12-team tournament starting in 2024? Is that what I heard? Yeah, yeah. They're going to go to not next season, but the year after. It'll be 12 teams. So they just came yeah. to that agreement last week. So so that'll open things up, obviously. But I And it'll be cool for a lot of teams that, you know, weren't in it this year that, that might have been, um, you know, when we're talking about teams like Alabama, obviously, Penn State. Um, there might have been a couple more. Uh, but... When you get to the when you get to the championship, everybody kind of wants to see the blue bloods. You know, it's a little like that in, in in NCAA basketball, where you know you open the field and there's all these you know all these teams, and you get your upsets. You know, in the first couple rounds, and one team gets a Sweet Sixteen. Maybe you know, maybe Murray State, maybe maybe uh, Butler. You know, makes it all the way to a semifinal or something like that. But when you get to the Final Four, man, tell me you don't want to see Duke, North Carolina. You know, you want to see the best players and the best programs. I want to see the best games, the best players, the best teams. I don't. Right. If they're a blue blood, great. They generally are pretty good, right? But if there's a team that's that's up and coming and and deserves to be there, by all means, I want to see them too. Yeah, I mean, I, I want good. I mean, you know, the shame of the college football playoff for the last seven years is that the semifinals have generally stunk. they've been horrible. Yeah, they've been wild routes. Yeah, the championship games have been spectacular for the most part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the semifinals, with four weeks to prepare, they've been routes. Yeah, you know, and that, that's one of the things that the semifinals is is so different because you have so much time to prepare. Yeah, too much, really. You have three weeks of practice. I think they give the players a week off, but you get three weeks of practice and scouting and that. And yeah, you are scouting the the, the championship game too. Have you get there? But four, you know, four weeks of prep for one game changes right. everything right you know if anything i'd like to see you're going to expand it to 16 or whatever let's lop off some of these crappy non-conference games and let's stop putting a four-week break in between start how about this how about you start the season later instead of september uh, i don't want to start the season later if anything you could end it sooner I mean, if you start start it later, you start getting into more weather problems. Well, now and now with the playoffs, I mean, I guess I suppose you're going to have yeah. if you've got twelve teams, you're going to have you know, from twelve to six. Yeah. To th- I mean, yeah, you don't make the top four. You got to win four games to win it all. Okay. Yeah, so that's a month of football. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a that's a grind. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. If you play thirteen games, including the conference championship, and then get all the way to the final, if you don't make the top four. You can play 17 yeah. games. That's yeah. an NFL season. That's an NFL season, yeah. Right. 
That's crazy. That's a lot of football, man. I mean, let's get rid of some of these crappy non-conference games. Well, and that's but what what happens is is that these these teams from you know the big conferences that have such you know tough conference schedules or whatever they they use that sort of as their preseason. You know, mm-hmm. they don't get preseason college games, so they'll they'll beat up on some you know FBS school or something to kind of get them get them going. I always laugh at a lot of the SEC schools. And granted, SEC's got the best football top to bottom. Particularly this year, they do. But little sisters of the poor that they schedule the week before rivalry week. Alabama's always playing some no name. Like oh yeah, Auburn and sure they, they all do it. And it's like it's one thing at the beginning of the season, right? But it's like when you're doing it right before your rival game. I mean, come on. Right. It's a bye week for them, so they can just extra an extra week to prepare for their rivals. Yeah. You know. Yeah. While they kick the crap out of somebody that. You know, doesn't belong in the field and just takes the paycheck. Yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. So, yeah, better scheduling. If we get better scheduling out of this, and and I'm all for opening it up. The other thing that happens is that if you include more teams in a tournament like this, and it happened in basketball to where, you know what, not everybody has to go to Alabama or not everybody has to Mm -hmm. go to Georgia or LSU or Ohio State or Michigan to play for a national championship, right? You can make it from Cincinnati or you can make it, um, you know, from one of the lower rung conferences, you know, the Pac-12 certainly, um, you know, or second team in the ACC. Like you don't have to be, you know, at at one of the really super blue bloods that are there every season. And, and that's kind of happened in basketball, you know, like there was a time when Gonzaga was not a destination school, right? It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Nowadays, man, if you go to Gonzag, if you're if you're a Zag, you you got a good shot at the Final Four every year, you know. So it just changes. Well, what I like, you know, say this year, if you were to do the twelve team playoff, you know, Utah, who struggled some early in the year, right, but is playing really great football late, right, they would get it, right, right. Penn State, who lost to number two and number four in the country, and they're ten and two. Those are the only yeah. two losses they get in. Right, you know, I like that. You're gonna, yeah. see, you're gonna, you're not getting punished for an early season loss or blemish. Right. Yeah, you know, Florida State, you know, they were 13. They would have just missed it, but I mean, they had a shot at that point. Right, right. You know, and they they struggled a little bit early and, and got better a lot later. Yeah, and that's you the know. worst thing about college football is a, an early loss can knock you out of it. You know. Yeah, lately it ha- it, it doesn't eliminate you, but it gives you no margin for error the rest of the year. Exactly. And in the bigger conferences that that's hard mm-hmm. it's hard to run through it undefeated. So But I like these teams. I, I think there's gonna be matchups in the way they seeded them. You don't have Michigan playing Ohio State in the first round, which is nice. But I Georgia, don't think they Ohio were State, ever gonna they would have made sure of that. They would have never done that, yeah. But Georgia, Ohio State, I like that game, man. I like that game it, a lot. Now, I think it, it's it's in Atlanta, so it's almost a home game for Georgia. Home although game, Ohio State right. travels well. They'll there'll be plenty of Ohio State fans there too, but Right. And then Michigan TCU, they both go to Phoenix. Right. Were you worried at all the way Michigan started the Big Ten championship? No. They're a second-half team. That's what they've done all year. They've had some close yeah. first halves. I mean, you know, early in the season they were playing the the non-conference cupcakes. They blew them out. But once they got right. in the Big Ten season, they wore teams down. That's what they did all year. That offensive line is probably the best offensive line in the country. 
Mm-hmm. They're going to win the the award for that again this year, most likely. And their right. defensive line's been a lot better than anticipated coming in, so they just wear you down. They wear you down, and I'll tell you what, Georgia has got one hell of a defense, and we know that, and mm-hmm. they did not start the game very well. Um, but offensively, they're just mm-hmm. they're in sync. And Stetson Bennett, who will not impress you physically, but you know the thing about him that's that's unusual is that, and you forget when you watch him, is it he's twenty five years old, man. Mm-hmm. He's twenty five years old. He's older than uh, you know many of the starters in the NFL right now that have been starting for two and three years. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so he's a grown grown man playing a kid's game out there. Uh, incredibly accurate, unflustered for the most part, mm-hmm. surrounded by great talent, and all he does is win, 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 no matter what, what, what. I mean, and, and Todd Munkin, uh, boy, if you can find a better play caller in college football, I don't know who it would be because he's really got them uh, doing whatever they want to, running the football, throwing the football. I don't know how, how talented they are at the receiver position. they got one hell of a tight end. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, they've got good running backs. Georgia always has you know, depth at the running back position. Their defense, though, is what is their strength. But uh, Bennett could win his second national championship in a row. I mean, look, Georgia's the best team in the country. Now they, right. have, they have to go out and prove it the next two games. Yep. They will have earned it if yep. they do it. But if you're looking for a good play caller, mm-hmm. USF's hoping they got the best play caller in the country. Mm. All right. Well, they hire Alex Golish who I will raise my hand and proudly tell you that I don't follow the Tennessee balls or the USF Knights back in the day when he was there, but I guess he was a co, am I correct about this, a co-offensive coordinator for Tennessee? I believe so, yes, but he was the play caller, according to the bio. Was the play caller. Okay, so they went from Jeff Scott, an alleged play caller or at least co-offensive coordinator with a big blue blood program like Mm -hmm. Clemson, had never been a head coach before, and it went horribly wrong. Uh, and so they had to make another hire. And I was wrong about one thing. I thought for sure that the next coach of USF would have had head coaching experience. That, to me, is not a small thing. Okay? And this guy is you know, going to win the press conference. He certainly won the interview. And we know the other names that were, were you know, people that USF talked to. And we can talk about Deion Sanders in a moment. That was never going to happen because of the, the difference in, in money and resources and things like that. But I think they're kind of following the exact template that just got them Jeff Scott. And that doesn't mean that Alex Golish is Jeff Scott. And hopefully they learn from something, uh, you know, to try to find something different in him that they didn't have uh, in, in Jeff. But his resume is stunningly similar to me. Uh, it, I mean... Is he a coordinator at a Power 5 school that had never been a head coach before? Yes. But what's different about his resume is how many different places he's done it at. Jeff Scott was in Dabo Sweeney's system for years and years and years. Okay. You know, we've seen Golish do it at, what, Iowa State, UCF, Tennessee, all programs that, while he was there on staff, as, as assistant coordinator said, got better, got lots better. Yeah. All those programs did. Yep. He has seen programs go from poor to much, much better. In this case, Tennessee was how high ranked this year at some point, you know, he, UCF has been really good. I mean, 
look, I don't know if he'll be a good coach or not. It surprised me that it wasn't someone with head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. But I think he's different from Jeff Scott in those ways that I, I think he's seen more ways to do it, ways to take a program that's struggling, and, you, and USF is mightily, and, and turn things around and make things better. He may or may not work. Who knows? And, and a lot of it's going to depend on what coaches he's bringing with him. And, and, you know, maybe we'll start to find that out today. He's got his introductory press conference this morning at USF. Right. You know, what UCF's offense did while he was there, what Tennessee's offense has done, impressive. Whether he can bring that to USF and then make the transition from not just being the offensive coordinator or an assistant, but being the head coach, we'll see. I mean, look, I mean, there's lots of, and Matt Baker has spelled this out in the Tampa Bay Times, lots of very successful head coaches were coordinators at Power 5 schools and started at, like, UCF, Scott Frost, who took them to, you know, allegedly a national championship, things like that. I mean, you know, it, it's, you don't have to have head coaching job experience to succeed in that role. Sometimes, you know, it, 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 I think it helps – and navigating it, but you don't need it. It surprised me they didn't find someone with that, or maybe they couldn't find someone with it. But we'll we'll see if Alex is different than Jeff Scott. Well, how about recruiting though? How about you know if we didn't know the name that well, mm-hmm. and I, I don't follow college football to the degree that that uh, obviously a lot of people do. But is this going to turn on a recruit? I mean, I, and I haven't seen him on the recruiting trail. Maybe he's the best salesman ever. He obviously got players. Somebody got players at Tennessee. Somebody got players at UCF. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, he's recruited Florida before, I would imagine. But what about what about the fan base? Are they coming out to see him coach? No. They come out to see his guys play. So many players have left USF since, you know, the end of the season in the transfer portal, although the transfer portal mm-hmm. giveth and taketh away. Um he promises, much like Jeff did, to get on the recruiting trail and work harder than anybody. I'm sure that's what he intends to do. Here, here's just the thing. About we talked about names, though. Yep. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about they, they, they need a splash here, right? So, Didn't we talk about that? Like, you want a stadium. You want to get the fan base excited. You want to get the boosters, you know, mm-hmm. to pay for this ball yard. I don't know, man. So, well, let, let, I'll throw it back at you. Outside of Deion Sanders, who went mm-hmm. to a Power 5 school. Right. Wasn't going to come here. He went to a Power Five, not to USF, who's in the American. Outside right. of Deion Sanders, what name out there would have made a splash that that would have wowed the boosters, the fans, the well, Jamie, Jamie Chadwell? Jamie Chadwell, okay. He's done very well at Coastal Carolina. He went to Liberty. Maybe, maybe he, he chose was. Liberty over USF. What does that say? Does that say more about Liberty or USF? Well, Liberty's paid him four million dollars a year. So Liberty has way more resources than Liberty's than got South a Florida. billion and a half dollar endowment. I yeah. mean, they've got money. I mean, Jeff Scott was paid two point four million. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why my my point yeah. is a lot of this my a lot of this is financial. A lot of this mm-hmm. is uh, what other people perceive this job to be. I can't, I can't remember who put this out there on social media, but it was outside of Wisconsin. And in Colorado, who's excited about having a coaching opening this year? I mean, those were the Luke Fickle and Deion Sanders. Outside of those two hires, which ones are you going wow over? 
anywhere in college football. Well, I mean, our, Auburn got Hugh Freeze, so I'm, I wouldn't be too excited about that. I mean, he can coach. I mean, I don't yeah. know what kind of trouble he'll get him in, but. He's got a name, and he's won, but yeah. And he, you know, he was at Liberty. You know, so, I mean, you know, this year you don't have Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC. Brian Kelly right. going from Notre Dame to LSU. Right. You didn't have that kind of movement this year in college football. So, I, I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'll Alex Goldschmidt will succeed, but I don't know I don't what understand. coach you could have hired that would have wowed everybody. I don't understand some things, and I'll just throw this out to you, okay? Like, for example, and they would never do this because apparently he was intent on coaching through the national championship, and, and maybe he wasn't willing to do both jobs because that's what you're asking people to do. You want a really hot offensive coordinator? You know, maybe not wow people, but people would know his name better than Alex Golish. How about Todd Munkin? Mm-hmm. So they called Todd Munkin and they told him, "We want to, we want to coach right away." So that would require him to do what? Well, because National Signing Day is coming up. In yeah, I understand the why, but like, so you're never going to get the best. In other words, I think Munkin would have considered USF. Maybe. In fact, I know he would have. Well, and, and you know what? Next year, when twelve teams are now in the playoff. It's going to be even harder. Be even harder to hire those guys, mm-hmm. won't it? Mm-hmm. Why National Signing Day and the transfer portal opens before the bowl games are done, I don't understand. Because you're taking the best coaches and you're, you're saying to them, if you want to be a head coach and you are a coordinator or an assistant coach at one of these top programs that's involved in the championship, well, guess what? You have to do both jobs at the same time if your university will allow you to do it. Mm-hmm. They may just fire you and name somebody else the coordinator at Georgia if you're taking the USF job. And most guys, you know, want to finish the job they started, especially if they have a team that can win the, the national championship. Mm-hmm. Luke, Luke like Todd, Fickle last year was offered Notre Dame and other jobs. He I wasn't going to leave Cincinnati while they were in the well, playoff. Well, but would you, you know, here are the options. So it's like, okay, you leave your program and they don't want to do that because they've been with their kids and want to finish what they started. Or you do both jobs, which seems very difficult at best because how are you game planning for that? Now, there's a month between the game. And you know your personnel and you know your team really well, so it's probably not as difficult as we may make it out to be. But is your energy being spent on the game plan against name the team in the semifinal? Or are you are you trying to recruit, you know, the new school? And preserve as many players as you can and get as many in the train like how many hours are you spending in a day when you know Georgia's still paying you to be coordinator? Well, and all the kids at the current school Wait, you're leaving us, but you're still coaching us? Right. Right. That's, that's, not, I mean, that's, that's not fair. I mean, I, I don't understand the timing of college football. Why National Signing Day and transfer portals open before the, before the season's over, which is when the championship's done. I mean, so basically, okay, let's look at this goal. So, so let's say they wanted Alex Golish all along. Let's say he blew them away and they wanted him all along. Mm-hmm. If Tennessee wins and they're in the national championship picture, Mm-hmm. They go to the SEC tournament, and maybe they lose, but they've got you know one loss or something like that. Hell, maybe even two, but whatever. If they if they're in the picture, maybe this guy can't be here. Mm-hmm. He's in the same boat. So you're getting you you know what I mean? Like you you need a team that's really productive, really good, has really good coaches, and we're going to hire them so long as they don't make the tournament. Well, guess what? Next year or two years from now, there'll be twelve of those teams. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just it's it's crazy to me that these guys get squeezed like this that they have to make a decision, you know, or their schools make it for them. I suppose. 
Or do you think the NCAA wants it that way? I don't know. So that these well, that these top programs don't lose good coaches. But what's the point? What's the point of taking a job at Georgia if you want to be a head coach and being successful as an offensive coordinator if no one can hire you? But they can hire head coaches up. You know, like Leak and Riley can go from Oklahoma. He's a head coach, and he goes over to USC and takes his quarterback with him. So that's because Oklahoma wasn't in the tournament mm-hmm. that year. So what you need is a, a little off. You know, the year that you go ten and two and miss the Final Four is the year that you're gonna get your head coaching opportunity. It's just weird to me, man. Because I, that's the guy, right? Munkin is the guy that I would have gone after hard, just because he loves it here. I think he would have taken this job. Uh, he's been a head coach before at Southern Miss, and you couldn't find a hotter play caller or a guy for that matter that took a quarterback that and, and no, he thought was all that good and could win two national championships with him. Mm-hmm. So anyway, nothing against Coach Golish. I mean, we wish him and USF well. Uh, it better work. He's got a big job. Um, I think it's it, it it's stacked against him a little bit, but, you know, everybody – I've always said this. There's plenty of guys out there that can coach, and – the circumstances sometimes dictate whether they succeed or not. I still think USF can be successful based on where it's located. I think a lot of people believe that. Um, but there's some big hurdles here, and you know you hope you get over them. But I had not, I had not heard that name. I had not been. I know we had written about it. I guess Matt Baker had had his name in at some point. The fact that he coached in this conference, the fact that he recruited this conference and, and won with UCF here, those are all positive things, um, but I don't, I don't know. It's it's an okay hire right now. John Romano wrote about it. He said that this is you know this is the path you have to take if you want to win. If you're USF, I mean you you know this, these are the type of player the guys you want on the rise that um, you know you get them on the way up, not on the way down. And I I, and I get that part, but mm-hmm. we thought that was Jeff Scott, so we'll see. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so now uh, a lot of the bowl games are set as well as the uh, national championship contestants, but we have uh, quite a few. It, uh, this is going to be a tough matchup. Florida is going up against number 13, Oregon State, in the Las Vegas Bowl. That's kind of a kind of a big bowl for them, I think. Yeah, it's early, too. It's, it's uh, in two weeks, December 17th, the first day of the bowl games. So. Wow. It's one of the early bowl. Actually, I think there's two games on the 16th. But Saturday the seventeenth is a full slate of bowl games. So, FSU draws a blue blood themselves in Oklahoma at the Cheez It Bowl on December 29th in Orlando. That's a that's a good one. Gator are uh, the uh, Seminole fans will show out there though here in Orlando. So, mm-hmm. it should be uh, some home field advantage. Absolutely, for Florida State. And then you got I, the game that I thought was going to end up here, but did not, uh, which is a very uh, good matchup: Gator Bowl, Notre Dame against South Carolina, which was on quite a roll to end the season. That would have been a fun one here. I wish I wish that would have been here on on January second. 
But, yeah. but Jim McVeigh did it again. He did. Jimmy, congratulations. I don't know how many years this is for you at what used to be the Outback Bowl. Now they rely on Quest Bowl. How does he get it? How does he do it, Steve? Mississippi State and Mike Leach against Illinois and Brett Bielema at the ReliaQuest. This is going to be a matchup of the ages right here. SEC, Big Ten, upstart teams, great personalities at coaching. The contract signing party this week should be phenomenal with those two coaches. It should be. It should be. And I should be there, but I won't because i got to take a kid to dance. My wife will be there because DeBartolo is one of the sponsors and and, uh, she usually makes a speech and welcomes Mm -hmm. the the coaches or whatever. But, yeah, um, that should be fun. Always great. The coaches come down. They have the signing party. And uh, a lot of the communities there, it's neat. That's a great event. I'll be at Amelie Arena that night, so I will not be there either. Speaking of Amelie Arena... How about your Tampa Bay Lightning Ooh. with an overtime win the other day against the Maple Leafs? That was a fun game. That had a playoff feel. It's only game 24 in the season. But you had, first of all, Steven Stamkos being honored for 1,000 points. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. And, and kudos to the Maple Leafs because they, they didn't have to come out on the ice early for the ceremony. They were all on the bench cheering, watching, and it just shows you the respect that, that Stamkos has throughout the league. Um, yeah, that's his hometown team. But, and he's he a Toronto with, guy. I yeah, and he say. grew up with John Tavares. But, I mean, most of those guys didn't grow up in Toronto, per se. No, that's now, true. John Tavares was a childhood friend and buddy of his. It's just classy. They were out there on the it, ice. It absolutely was. Kudos to them for that. Um, but then, what a crazy game. I mean, back and forth, two goals taken off the board, one for each team. Mm. It, it really had a playoff feel to it. And it was the first time they'd met since Game 7, in Toronto of the the first round playoff series last year. Remember the Lightning were down three games one. to two. Yeah. Came back and forced game seven and then won game seven. Right. And and that was a fun that was a fun game. Two high skilled teams going at it. And Lightning yeah. prevail in overtime, get the two points. Mm-hmm. But that was fun hockey. Alex Kalorn with the game winner in overtime. So they're uh Lightning's on a good roll right now, I think. They're starting to find their game a little bit. They are. I mean, they're, they're as John Cooper likes to say, munching points. Munching points, yeah. right. I think they're I mean, it, 31 it points through 24 games, so you're seven games yeah. above hockey 500. Mm-hmm. You're, in, you're in great shape for where you need to be at this point in the season. And their goal, as always, yeah. is to make the playoffs. They're not, they're not going to win the President's Cup. That They went that route once and didn't pan out for them. But, um, you know, Boston obviously is off to the greatest start in hockey history right now, it seems. No one can beat them. But, well, the Devils yeah, aren't that far behind them, to be honest. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, oh, and, and the other news is Anthony Sorelli was back Saturday night. That's huge for them. Which yeah, now you've got you know your three top centers are now Point, Nick Paul, and Sorelli. And of yeah. course, Damkos can play center, and you got others, but it just deepens your lineup. And and you know one of the issues the Lightning have had this season is getting production from the third and fourth lines, scoring wise mm-hmm. and stuff. But now. Whether it's Sorelli or Nick Paul, whoever you want to call the third line, um, you know, wherever, however they shuffle the lines as they figure this out, you just added more skill down there, and it's only going to help this team. Yeah, no, health is everything, and uh, I like the way they're playing, and I and I and I like the way um, they competed against Toronto. And you're right; I mean, it's it's. I just saw the highlights. I saw um, mostly the overtime, some of the overtime highlights. But uh, it looked like the crowd was into it. And I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of people down from Toronto and all of that uh, this time of year. So 
probably a good building as well. We had some we had some Rays news. Well, we got a couple things with the Rays. First of all, their stadium plan, I guess, was uh, released. Yeah, we'll get the more Rays. into this later in the week. But they've uh, released a plan with a developer to redevelop the Trop site and make that? a you know stadium uh, with a roof, turf, windows, uh, but also a whole development around of retail shops and you know condos, apartments, etc. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, it kind of looks like what, you know, Oakland's trying to do, what Atlanta did with the battery, with, you know, what teams are trying to do now, not just control a stadium, but the area around and all the development with that. Yep. Um, so it's one of four plans that the mayor in St. Pete has to decide from to redo Tropicana Field site. Uh, but they unveiled that last week and looks like they're trying to build a stadium in, at the same spot. Well, we always heard it doesn't work there. We always heard, yeah, St. Pete's never going to work St. Pete. Got to go to more close to a population area uh, unless you get developmental rights and you can build something special and you can have some revenue streams from that. And you're right. It, it, it seems very much like the Atlanta plan. I'll say this about St. Pete. And I, I mean, yeah, more people live in the Hillsborough side um, and, and certainly north of St. Pete and all of that. But, man, the time I spent down there recently, a couple of weeks ago, how that city has changed. And I was born in St. Petersburg in the northwest section. But um, it has really become a younger uh, mm-hmm. residential, um, you know, walk to the stadium. So many restaurants, so many bars down there, just so many, so much nightlife. And it's a vibrant city now. Um, so, yeah, if you could add a development like that, uh, it might actually work, and and listen, it, failing anything you know short of uh, a site in Tampa or Ybor City or someplace like that that doesn't seem to be on the horizon, I'm all for it. Just keep the Rays in Tampa Bay uh, and worry about that later. But um, they do got to reimagine the Trop, obviously. But that area is is one of the last parcels in downtown that's not developed. So whoever gets those rights uh, is gonna gonna make a lot of money. And so I guess that's what the Rays are looking at. So good for them for thinking sort of outside the box, um, which is good on there. The final thing is congratulations, and I mean this sincerely, to Tampa's own Fred McGriff. He is now going to become a Hall of Fame baseball player. How about that? Well-deserved and should have happened in the initial ballots Mm -hmm. instead of with the whatever committee they call it now. Right. Uh, he got the votes, and, and others that were up board, obviously, you still have the Raphael Palmeros and Barry Bonds and guys like that that have exhausted their normal, um, you know, ballots. But uh, McGriff, you know, I think did it the right way. I think that's what people appreciate about him, the crime dog, played for those Toronto teams. Um, and I think he hit, what, 498, 499 home runs, something like that, just shy of 500. Uh, which was quite a quite a landmark for for many baseball players throughout the years. Just a solid player, and of course a former Ray. Now another former Ray. I guess you could claim Wade Boggs if you wanted to. But can he go in um, with a Rays hat? Since he's from Tampa Bay, would he do that? I don't know. It's a great question. I would think. You know, baseball is the only one that makes you choose, right? Do they actually ask you what what you want to have on the bill of your cap when they do the plaque? I, I think I don't that's know. how it still works. Yeah, I would imagine it would be a Blue Jay, but who knows? He's a Tampa guy. But very humble guy, and, and I see him all over. The, we, my, I run, run, run into him all the time at different places, man. Uh, and uh, just, just a nice guy to talk to, but was a great ball player. Early in my days when I was covering baseball, uh, especially in spring training, you know, he, he was around and um, 
Well, you think about Tampa and you think about the Hall of Famers that have come out of, of this this area, this Tampa Bay area. It's really impressive. Um, but he was he was one that did it right. And when the Rays, you know, were in their early days and, and uh, McGriff still had something in the tank, I think it was cool for him to come to his hometown and play. I think it meant something to him. And and he played really well. You know, he was, he was a good bat when he, when he was here as well and a good first baseman. So long overdue. Glad to see it. Check it out in Tampa Bay Times. Mark Tompkin wrote about it on Tampa Bay. Dot com. So we got a lot to talk about, of course, after the Monday night football game. It should be a good one. Uh, I don't expect a high-scoring game. I don't know how the nation's going to view it, but the Buccaneers have a chance to separate again in the NFC South after Atlanta lost. Uh, they could obviously uh, get one up on New Orleans and sweep them, which would uh, help them in any tiebreaker situation if it came down to that. And then it's on to San Francisco and then home against Cincinnati. So quite a gauntlet of games coming up in these next three weeks, but it all starts with Monday Night Football. Just want to remind you guys, if you are looking to save money on an electric bill, call our friends at May Electric Solar. They've been in business for 12 years. They're local. They have a 30-year labor and services warranty, $750 worth of surge protection. Um, They do it all. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the bucks in their Monday night football game against the New Orleans Saints. For Steve Burstick, I'm Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.